We're going we're gonna to talk about worship today. And as we continue in worship and spend time thinking about what it means to worship, what we're doing when we gather here, I want to begin like the Israelites might have begun worship years ago in the temple. We spent the last three weeks in this series on circles and rows talking about circles, and the idea there is small groups of community, fellowship, friendships, and talking about what that looks like in our midst. And now we switch to rows, and what we have in mind here are the types of rows that you're sitting in this morning, what we do on Sunday morning when we gather as a body and worship, two of the most central things to who we are, community and worship, and now we switch to worship. But before we talk about what worship means, I want you to listen to how it's done, okay? I'm going to read a song to you that Israel would have sang in their worship assembly in the temple, and I want you to pay attention to the object of their worship, the content of their worship, and the participants in the worship. You can close your eyes if you want to. What I want you to do is to imagine this throng of people gathered around the temple, this mass of people who are shouting in unison, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be revered above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. So ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name, bring an offering, and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord is king. The world is firmly established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity and let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let the sea roar and all that fills it and let the field exult and everything in it. And then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he's coming. He's coming to judge the earth, and he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Let's pray. We praise you, sovereign king. Lord of lords, we give you glory. And God, we beg you to pour out your spirit on this place this morning that you turn these words of mine into your own and that you give us through these ancient words a true and fresh word for us from you today. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I was in the back of the connection service trying to soothe Noble who was crying and I looked over my shoulder and there was a Buddhist monk. Okay? On the list of things I didn't expect to see at church that morning, Buddhist monk was pretty high. But I was... I was glad because I was crossing things off my list slowly. Lately, I've been on a roll. I saw one of our elders, a pediatric surgeon, performing life-saving maneuvers on Nemo the goldfish a few weeks before that. Some of you may not know about this. The aerator broke in the goldfish tank, and Gerald Jerkins stood there with an air compressor for two hours, squirting that juice 
in there so that Nemo would live. Some of you saw Nemo at one point. It wasn't too good, okay? He rallied, though. We got our best on it. Okay, so I crossed that off the list. But then what I wasn't expecting to see this morning was a Buddhist monk, robe and all. But I was glad because I got to cross that off my list. He was the guest of some of our Chinese members. He was a, a friend of Mr. Ding, one of our Chinese deacons. And so I turned to him and, and I said, hello. And he didn't speak English and Noble's crying wasn't exactly helping the conversation. I didn't know what to do. And then he took over. He reached forward and put his hand on Noble's head and said what I assume was a blessing. And I said, thank you? you know, what, what do you say to being blessed by a Buddhist in church? I, I wasn't sure, but thank you seemed fair enough, you know? Who would have thought a Buddhist in church, in the connection service, in Memphis? Who would have thought it? The story reminds me of a, a one my friend, a preaching friend in Abilene told recently. Surprisingly, Abilene, which is a really strange town, for a lot of reasons, but surprisingly, there's a large number of refugees in Abilene, and that has to deal with Christians who have started refugee organizations in that city. And one of those refugees, a Middle Eastern Muslim man, got placed in a home in the shadow of Highland Church of Christ in Abilene, Texas, where my friend Jonathan preaches. So this guy, this Muslim man, knows nothing about church, nothing. He's never been to church, and he's never met any Christians aside from the ones who work in that refugee organization that placed him in Abilene. He knows nothing about it. But what he does know is that nice-looking people show up on Sunday morning. They go inside this building for a few hours, and then they leave, and he starts feeling drawn to it in ways he can't explain. He just wants to go see what it's all about. He can't put his finger on it, but he just wants to go. But he doesn't think he would be allowed there. And you might think, well, everybody knows you're allowed, but think about that. You know no Christians have never been in a place where there's a church building on every street corner, and you know you are not a Christian. Do you think you're allowed there? He thinks he's not. So he devises this plan to sneak in past the greeters at the doors handing out their bulletin, right? Okay, and he successfully sneaks in for a few weeks without anybody catching him. He stays for worship and then escapes before anybody can waylay him afterwards. Sure enough, some nice Christians find him offer him hospitality, welcome him into their homes. He stays at Highland for some time and is now a Christian and a member of that church. Pretty incredible story. A Muslim sneaking into church and a Buddhist baby-blessing monk in the connection service here at Highland. And if you think about it, if those two people are here for worship, you got to wonder who else might be. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord is king. You notice a pattern there? The funny thing about those two stories is that I told my preaching friend Jonathan before I ever heard either of them or experienced the Buddhist baby blesser that both stories were basically impossible or at least highly unlikely. He and I were on this preaching panel, panel of preachers for an undergraduate preaching class. Now, there's no way I should have been on this panel, okay? It was Jack Reese, dean of the Bible college at ACU and former preacher at Max Licato's church, okay? 
Jonathan Stormont, preacher at a church of about 1,200, and Eric, brand new preacher at a church of about 12. Okay. I didn't say a lot. Okay. But this guy, this kid, asked this question, this softball question, I thought. And so I jumped on it, thinking, I'm going to impress Jack and Jonathan. They are going to be so amazed by me. Okay. What he asked was, is Sunday morning preaching mostly about Christians or non-Christians? Now, you've got to recognize there's an assumption in his question. That is, that preaching can't be about both. Okay. That you can't possibly preach in a way that would impact Christians or non-Christians, that you can't possibly do Sunday morning in a way that would impact both Christians who have been Christians for a long time and non-Christians. Okay, that's the assumption. And I shared his assumption. I spoke up confidently. <clears throat> well, um, there might be the very occasional non-Christian at church on Sunday morning, but, but weekly preaching is mostly about forming existing Christians just like the whole service is on Sunday morning. And to my chagrin, Jonathan said I was wrong. But I was pretty sure I was right, because I'm always right. You know, if I find out I'm not, I change my mind and I'm right again. So I'm really not ever wrong. Here's what I believed and what many of us believe, that worship is most about God when it's most about us. And I don't mean that in a vain or selfish way. What I'm not saying is that God is worshipped most when we worship ourselves. That would be the opposite of the type of worship God wants. Okay. What I'm saying is that we think the best way that we can offer God the worship that he is due is to deepen our faith. We care deeply about mission and evangelism and the faith of others. It's just that's not worship. It's mission. And there's another time and place for that. And I as an individual and we as a church worship God most on Sunday morning when we focus most on our own lives, our own hearts, as they relate to the God that we worship. That's what I was trying to tell Jonathan on that panel, that worship is most about God when it's most about us. But what about all that talk of the nations in Psalm 96? The Israelites are gathered in worship at the temple, and they're singing this song, Psalm 96, to God. But they're also singing it to everybody else, inviting all the people, all the families of the people, all the nations, all the earth to come worship with us. Not at some special event, no, right now. Come into the courts Come into the temple with us. Offer your sacrifice. Do it now. Declare the Lord to be king. Do it now with us in worship. But of course, I had Alexander Campbell on my side, which I typically do. Alexander Campbell is one of the founders of our movement. And he, for biblical reasons, made a really sharp distinction between the type of communication that might happen on a Sunday morning like this and the type of communication that might happen at an evangelistic camp meeting or on the street corner through a bullhorn. What he said with with kind of different words was that the street corner guy with the bullhorn or the evangelistic camp meeting preacher wins people for Jesus, but Sunday morning maintains them. Very different. What he might have said is that mission is most about God when it's most about others, but worship is most about God 
when it's most about us. Here's what me and my man Alex were pretty sure of. That a Muslim guy might occasionally sneak in. And that there is a really, really long shot that a Buddhist baby blesser might be there. But Sunday morning is pretty much just about Christians. Despite what Psalm 96 says, we were pretty sure we knew who was in our room on Sunday morning worshiping God. But then we did that survey. Now, I've talked about this survey before, but it's, it's difficult for me to underscore just how eye-opening this survey was for me. Okay, despite my own history, which I've shared with you, despite our heritage of thinking about worship and mission as separate, Last summer, when we surveyed all of the Highlanders who had placed membership since arriving in this location on Houston Levy, we discovered that 95, 95% of them had their first experience with Highland on a Sunday morning at worship. 95%. Now, you might backpedal when you hear that, like I did, and you might say, well, Those are just Christians transferring from other churches who knew that if you want to try out a church, the thing you do is go on Sunday morning to worship. And the reality is that kind of transfer happens in every city, and Highland over its many years has sadly lost people to other places. Okay, That kind of transfer happens, so we wanted to track that. Here's what we discovered. Our growth, we're talking north of 300 people now, Okay, since moving here, Our growth over the last three and a half years last summer was comprised of 50% transfer growth, transfer from another church, 30% relocation to Memphis, people who have moved here, and get this, 20% of the people who placed membership in the last three and a half years were unchurched or de-churched. That is, they had fallen away from church. 20%, which is a phenomenal number. Which is also to say, that nearly everyone who's become a part of this family in those years had their first experience with Highland on a Sunday morning and that 20% of them were disconnected from God or Christian community before they walked into this building that morning. 20%. And when you hear that, you've got to stop and ask yourself, who is worship about again? Is worship really most about God when it's most about us? Can you really separate worship and mission? Can you separate those two things? Well, the worship that is ringing in my ears while I ask those questions and think about this survey is the worship of Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord all the earth, among the nations, among all the peoples, O families of the peoples, all the earth, say among the nations, the Lord is king. So worship is most about God when it's most about who? Who? To answer that question, let me place a scene in your mind, okay? You can close your eyes if you want to, you don't have to. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. He's riding on an old donkey with the cloak of one of his apostles strewn over its back. And as he enters the city gates, first it's just one or two 
passerbys who see Jesus and are stopped in their tracks. And they take off their cloaks there on the spot and they throw them in the mud before the feet of that donkey so that his hooves do not splash monk on the robe of their king. That's how they know Jesus is. And they hit their knees and they begin to sing. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And that scene grabs the attention of the vendors in the market, and they leave their stalls, they leave their fruit and their date, and they see Jesus, this king, riding into town, and they grab their blankets that were just for sale just a few moments before, and they throw their blankets in the mud before the feet of that donkey before he reaches another puddle, and they hit their knees, and they start singing. And the kids playing in the alleyways hear the singing, and they come running with the palm branches that were hanging over the portico, and they throw the palm branches at the feet of this king who is riding into town, and they form over Jesus a tunnel of waving palms, fanning this king from the heat of the morning, and they are all singing, and it started as just one or two, and now it's a throng, a very great crowd, the text says. They're lining the streets as Jesus rides by, and everyone is calling to their friends and even strangers, hey, you don't want to miss this. Come out here, and they fill the street with celebration. It's like a Christian Mardi Gras or the Boston Marathon, and everyone is singing, and they pick up the refrain because it's so simple. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord and worship is exploding in excitement because that scene from Psalm 96 of people from all the earth, all the nations are declaring in worship right there in that moment that the Lord is king and that's what we do on Sunday morning. That's what we do. That's why we're here. When we gather in worship, we are enthroning our king. We're declaring loudly that the Lord is king, and we do it every single week. But we're not the first to do it. In this scene here, which I just recounted for you, is not the first time these Israelites and others have done it. All they're doing in that scene is recreating the scene that they have practiced for generations and generations in the temple. When Israel, for centuries, would gather and proclaim, sometimes dangerously proclaim, that despite what it may look like, despite trouble or hardship or famine or sword, that the Lord is king and he's coming riding into town. And to do that, they take up this song, a worship song, the song we find in Psalm 96, declaring the king is coming. And then he judges with righteousness and equity, and the song they sing is this declaration that the true king is on the throne, and in singing it, they confirm that they belong to that king. And worshiping in this way, they are announcing, he is my king. And they're confirming what we believe, that indeed, worship is most about God when it includes us. But something else is happening in Psalm 96, and in the temple while they're singing it. In that moment, in worship, Israel is inviting and even demanding that others come in and join them in declaring that God is king. Look, sing to the Lord 
all the earth, declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. So ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, bring an offering and come in to His courts. Tremble before Him all the earth and say among the nations, the Lord is King. It's like that crowd, they're crowded around the temple, grabbing every foreign traveler, every foreign merchant, and pulling them into the temple worship with them, grabbing every foreigner who happens to be in their path. Come worship with us. Do it right now because God is king, including yours. It's like that crowd around Jesus, everybody calling others to come and join them while the worship is still going on. While Jesus is still riding that donkey down the street, the crowd just grows and grows because everybody is invited. Not to a special outreach event, to a conference, or to a day of service. All those might be great, but we want you to come worship the King with us. I'm sure that there might be some who doubt, like I did when I heard this, that Israel was really that open to others worshiping with them. You know what I discovered? Not only were they open to it, they planned on it. They designed their facility like we are in the hopes that those people would come. At the ribbon-cutting ceremony for the temple, okay, it's brand opening. Listen to Solomon's prayer. This is going to blow you away. Listen to what he prays. Likewise, when foreigners who are not of your people Israel, God, come from a distant land because of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, and when they come and pray towards this house, may you hear from heaven your dwelling place, and do whatever the foreigner asks of you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. From the beginning, from the grand opening, they prayed for those who would come worship with them who were not of them. You know, they prayed for those unbelievers who might happen upon their worship and in doing so, come to believe. And in Psalm 118, it's going to blow you away. Psalm 118, which is a worship song they would have sang in worship, there is a call and response section that includes non-Israelites. Look at this. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Okay, be like, let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. And then get this, let those who fear the Lord, a classic statement for non-Israelites, let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Okay, this would be the equivalent of Brecian saying, now just the ladies, now just the men, okay, now just the kids whose parents drag them here and they don't want to be here, okay, now just the Buddhist baby-blessing monks. And suddenly, everybody, even people you would not have imagined in a thousand years, is shouting out in unison because of the worship, that yes, his love endures forever. His love endures forever. The Lord is king. The Lord is king. And they're doing it because of worship. What Israel knew is something that we've got to remember and something I forgot. That worship must both invite and incorporate others. That worship is mission. And that to separate those two is foolish and maybe foolhardy. Well, let, me, let me put it like this. What we discover here is that worship is most about God when it is most about everyone. 
Now, that includes us, but it also includes the millions of others who are not here this morning. If, if we believe that God is great and greatly to be praised, if God's greatness deserves the praise of everyone in the world, which that text is implying, then we've got to worship in a way that causes the whole world to let down their defenses, raise their hands, and shout, the Lord is king. We at Highland have got to worship with such conviction and open invitation that the 20% here on any given Sunday who do not believe or who are struggling with doubts will find themselves caught up in a chorus of praise. His steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is king. The Lord is king. The invitation I want to offer today is for all of you to stand, if you don't mind. And what I know is that in this room, what I'm convinced of is there are people in various stages of their faith journey. There are some of you who have not started that journey there are some of you who have been doing it for many, many years. Okay. What I want to invite you to do along with us is to repeat after me, the Lord is King. We'll do it three times. The Lord is King. The Lord is King. The Lord is King. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's worship our King together. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, and worship His whole.